now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andkste.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, but probably more snark than garden tips. And the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there is a garden dialogue going on all the time, including an old ad for how to carry your goat on your car, hanging out the outside of the window in a bag. It's, uh, I wonder how many of those ever got sold. But anyway, speaking of old goats, Ed Livo's here! Yay! <laughs> Ed Livo, fruit tree expert extraordinaire. He knows his uh, deciduous fruits, his citrus, his berries, his vines, his nut trees. If you got one of those type of questions, uh, this is the guy, the go-to guy, to ask your question. The number is to reach us, 866-331-8255, or locally, 916-576-1578. And you can always send your emails to fred at farmerfred.com. Terry's back. He's running the board. All right, good. And we'll have a garden grappler later on, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Ed, there's probably some... uh, information that we were going to impart on this program a leftover from the kfbk show heck if i can remember what it was well hey guess what i figured it out while we oh, were the math yeah yes. but, but i got i got a better one okay. for the math okay, okay. now what, right. what we're talking about a I, blueberry soil mix right here. so if you're going to do you're going to do a third of the acid-based potting soil okay you're going to do a third of the pathway bark okay the quarter inch minus pathway bark should I write this down? Then uh, you're going to take the other third and make it half of the chunk core all right. and half peat moss. All right. The modified Ed Livo blueberry soil mix recipe, because blueberries like a low pH, well, easy draining solution. So one third pathway bark, one third of an azalea camellia soil mix, one third, well, not one third. Uh, yeah, it's one thirty. It'd be the well, rem- that'd the be remain- four thirds then. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> well, you got one third pathway bark, one third azalea soil mix. Okay, and yeah. and then you have a remaining third, and you make that half of the half core. Okay, what's one half of one third? One sixth. One sixth. So you go. Okay, there we go. One sixth peat moss. Okay, so but but see now, everybody who isn't a mathematician <laughs> out there could say could could really understand half, the remaining half. Okay, four and, and a half peat moss. All right, so you have to know your volumes, basically. Your volume is what other ever container size you know that you have. You're going to break your your mix up into these four components if you can find the chunk core. Yeah, and really the only reason why we even mention chunk core is this: I want everybody to go out and ask their local retailers why they don't sell chunk core because. It's the it's the um, the best addition to potting mixes that will increase the duration between watering, and that's what we want to do. We want to use less water. You know, even in our containers, it's it, it's essential. But but keep in mind this: that most of the better potting soils today have core as a component. So I mean, that just shows how valuable this. But I like chunk core because it adds porosity. It's a big chunk of of material that mm-hmm. actually sits in the media inside your soil and actually adds 
uh, pore space for air to come in, and, and that's always good as well. And, of course, as Ed pointed out over on the KFBK show, I, again, planted my blueberries wrong because I went straight from the container they came in, a 4 by 9 which is about a one-gallon capacity, and planted them into my cattle troughs yeah. with holes on the bottom, and which holds volumes of soil. Do, do you know? Do you know when when we were testing soil mixes, um, one of the soil mixes that I had the best results were, uh, from off the shelf was orchid mix. Hmm. Just a straight orchid. Mix. Straight orchid mix, because that's what we did first. First, we said right off the shelf, you know what works well. Okay. And so, uh, and and my good friends at um, can I say can I say the brand? Yeah, my good friends at Kellogg's were so helpful with you know giving me product and stuff to work with. And say the, their uh, name twice because they're a sponsor. Oh, Kellogg's, yeah, yes. Kellogg's Kellogg's Garden Products, including the Gardner and Bloom line of organic yeah. products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, anyways, and they're all good friends. These are these are all really good friends, and they've they've really been there. My 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 great friend Rex Lamb, mm-hmm. you know, who's a tremendous individual. He's He's helped me out with these projects. And they just say, you know, I say, here, here's what I'm trying. And they go, well, let us send you some stuff. <laughs> so if you don't want to do the, the whole thing of pathway bark, azalea, soil mix, peat moss, core chunks, you could just go with orchid mix. Yeah, orchid mix work. Which fantastic. they sell in one cubic foot bags. Yeah, they are. They're very small bags. Yeah, but, but, they, it, but it works. You know, that works. So just to give you an idea, but here's the key. The orchid mix, the, the problem I had with the orchid mix, it dried out too quickly. Hmm. Yeah, because orchids need that. Correct. Yeah, so right then, then maybe we shouldn't recommend orchid mix. No, you shouldn't. Well, then I got to cross that off then. Oh, okay, sorry. No, I sh- no, it dries out too quickly, unless you want to just be pouring water all over it all the time. But just to give you an idea that, that, that they, it, the plants did fabulous in that mix, as long as they had water. I feel like I'm talking to a mad scientist. <laughs> yeah, 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 not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, man, it was we had a lot of fun with the blueberries for years. Yeah. It was, it was a blast. Yes, blue, and they're good, too. Yeah. And, and now they're pushing the envelope. They're, they're, they're trying to sell more northern high bush blueberries here. You know, I, that's what I started with was northern. And then, and then we realized one really key element, and that was that the margin burn that, occlu- that occurs on blueberries mm-hmm. when you grow them in full sun, it's, it's rarely ha- it really ha- very rarely has to do with the full sun. It really has to do with the pH. If the pH isn't correct, then the plant gets a margin burn in hot sun. And that's, that was a direct connection we made. So all of a sudden, the, the, the northern high bushes that we were working with, which are really demanding of, of a low, stable pH. So they, they really like it, that, that 5.5 to 5.8 range. Now, if you achieve that, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're growing a blueberry in full sun didn't matter as much. You know, you didn't get that margin burn. What is the ideal amount of light for a blueberry plant? Full sun. You're saying that point full, blank. Full sun. You're not going to change your mind in 30 seconds. Never. Okay. Because remember where I did all my tests with blueberries? Your backyard. Modesto. Yes. <laughs> you know, pick a hotter spot, Phoenix. <laughs> Are you saying they won't produce in part shade? No, they'll produce fine, but you want the yeah. best sugar, the highest sugar content, you know, the, mm-hmm. mes- the best berry. You know, I, you know, and granted, you know, people, I think if people have seen my, you know, back, back when my, they shot my hat on TV, they came into my house and, you know, it was Gardening by the Yard, I believe, came in and they shot the oh, whole I area. remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah well, and, and everybody commented. They said, well, your blueberries are real close together. Well, you know, you look at most blueberry um, orchards 
And, and blueberries are very, very close together because, you know, of course, that helps to shade the root and keep the root cool. So not to say that shading doesn't have a function, but just to say that the canopy being ex- exposed to full, full sun isn't a detriment. It actually is, is a, uh, it adds to the quality of the fruit. So thinking minds are wondering now, okay, you can put the plant in full sun, but the roots need shade? Well, I mean, if you put the plants closer together, mm. then they kind of shade each other out. I mean, they, they, the roots get shaded, you know, so, but, but still, if you've had the plants and the plant itself is in full sun. People, in a container. In, in a container, exactly. A container. But so many people try to plant them in the ground. Oh, man, they're just, they, they sit there and do nothing for years. They get red-leafed, and the leaves are tiny, and they get the margin burn like I was talking yeah. about from uh, uptake of insoluble salts. And I mean, they're, they're just a mess. And then, and then one day, all of a sudden, they take off. Or one day, you know, you just get tired of them, you pull them out. So those, those are the options. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm glad well, it's so day, easy. One day you're listening, you're listening to Get Growing, and, and somebody goes, hey, man, you know, blueberries, it's do terrible in the ground. And you go, oh, okay. And then the next question is on the board is, yeah. uh, can I pull these things out of the ground and put them in containers? Yes. No, the question would be, <laughs> I've got all mine in the ground. They're doing fine. Well, And that's fine, too. Yeah, because I mean, you may have a low pH soil. Correct. That's yeah. right. That's right. And th- there is, I, I have noticed that there is an adaption period that sometimes some varieties of blueberries will adapt, I think, to the to the higher pH soils. Like, for instance, if you're in that six to seven range where you're almost neutral, I think some of the southern high bush will actually tolerate that just fine. But it just takes them a long time to get to that. You're a couple of years sometimes before they really just, you know, stabilize yeah, right. and get going. They're so. like kids. Yeah, they are like kids. Yeah. They're like ugly kids. <laughs> But they blossom forth. <laughs> they do. They, they do. But, but you know yes. that story, the, 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 uh, the ugly duckling that turns into the swan. That, yes, yeah. and that's blueberries. Yeah, but I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as common as, you know, <laughs> the blueberries are tough. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we could spend two hours on blueberries. But we won't. We'll take a break. Cool. When we come back, we'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And I, I see that uh, people have now backyard science questions for you, Ed. So we'll delve into that when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Backyard orchard culture big daddy Ed Livo is here. And uh, when we say backyard orchard culture, we're talking about keeping your fruit and nut trees at size, at a size that you can manage everything you need to do with that tree while standing on the ground, not on a ladder. So these trees max out at seven feet or thereabouts. They're easier to... uh, the bounty of your laborers. It's easier if you need to cover it for some reason. If to prune it, you can be standing on the ground instead of yielding a sharp object in your hand five feet off the ground. So backyard orchard culture makes a lot of sense. And I just wish the industry would quit calling them fruit trees and let's call them fruit bushes. I think that might solve a lot of issues. The industry, the industry, you know, depending on who who you're defining as the industry, you know, the commercial folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, look at the commercial orchards now. Guess oh, yeah, what? they're getting smaller and they're smaller. They're all high density But now. That, that brings up a whole other issue <laughs> right. of the lack of available labor, and so they're modifying existing machinery to pick the crops. So you've got all these crops now at, at heights that can get a, a, a grape harvester over them. Correct. And, and, and look at this. I mean, who knows, who knows why it took so long to, you, to put that logic in place? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not... 
Because farmers are stubborn? I don't know. I just think, you know, the, the wonderful books that I've accessed, you know, from the mid-1800s and the late-1800s and the early-1900s on California farming, you find that, you know, they, they weren't letting their trees get 20 feet tall. You know, they were, they were keeping their trees down low. And the idea of, you know, a canopy, you know, with a, with a trunk was not such a, you know, commonly practiced thing in the um in those days you know because uh, they were well they, there were no fertilizers or they, they, they were, were dry no, farming for yeah, crying out loud there exactly. was no irrigation yeah. so there was no reason to be working on the ground as far as uh modifying what's going on with herbicides or fertilizers right. or right. all that no they had to depend on 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 the techniques that had come through the ages to 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 make them yeah. so successful and and keep in mind that you know in those years you know california was a tremendously successful fruit growing state Mm -hmm. so you know i mean in the late 1800s early 1900s i mean i don't know if there's any place in the united states that was producing more fruit and especially when you look at you know everybody hears luther burbank's name as hybridists but you know it was hybridists were a dime a dozen i'm afraid in the you know at the turn of the last century so they were everywhere and you and and luther burbank probably was just the best at promoting himself and probably the most precocious you know the one who was producing the most so he was he was in every you know, he was in every plant genre there was. <laughs> if uh, you go back in onto the uh, KSTE Farm Hour podcast page and go back a couple of weeks and uh, listen to an episode I did, an interview with the author of a book that talked about Los Angeles and the growth of Los Angeles, how its farm origins is what attracted people to that area to begin with. The Chamber of Commerce was actively uh, combining farmland and new people Oh, to uh, take part in the bounty. My uh, my good friend and colleague with Dave Wilson, uh, Tom Spellman, he, he collects fruit labels from mm-hmm. the yeah, boxes, right. and he's I think he's probably one of the has one of the biggest collections I think in the United States. But um, Tom uh, Tom, you know, is pretty much a historian based on that, and he can tell you you know how far those that that influence actually goes back and it's tremendous i yeah. mean los angeles was not a populace it was a it was a farming community yeah, yeah. Ex- extensive farming yeah. i i was over at uh, um at uh, john muir's place just um how's john doing john's great yeah, um you know it, i learned more about john muir in the last um, uh, two weeks and i think i'd understood and all the time i thought i'd read about him and stuff but i mean he, he was a tremendous businessman and a tremendous um uh, farm businessman really he made all his money you know um actually creating uh, some very very weird inventions for the ag in- industry uh, up in wisconsin and then came to california and married a woman of course in martinez and kind of took her this this archaic farm and made it you know an incredibly profitable farm and then said i'm out of here <laughs> yeah i was gonna say most people think of john muir as a hermit in yellowstone no not at all no he had kids and and a, and a really prosperous business, and I I was just jazzed. I mean, it was I, I would recommend anybody go to Martinez and go to his uh, homestead uh, that the um, the uh, Muir House there. It's 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 well worth it. It's it's got incredible history. All right, email from John in Modesto. He says I have numerous drip irrigation systems in my yard. I have always run them in the early morning hours. Is this the best time to maximize the plant's ability to use the water? Now, common sense and, of course, common answers over the last 60 years. This is, yes, water in the morning, yeah. but not Ed. No, I water at night. I mean, I, everything waters at night. I, I just, I want to water um, at a time when I know that the um, penetration of that water is going to have the most opportunity to get deep down in the, or, or deeper into the ground before the heat of the day comes on. Or and, the wind. 
or the wind, right, yeah. or anything that contributes to evaporation comes on. But, of course, you know, along with that, you know, uh, you know, I've been promoting mulch since... Yeah, since it was a hippie science, and 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 if you're you know if you're mulching correctly, um, you probably don't have as big a problem with that as long as you you're using some subsurface irrigation, right? You know, such as net. net of him, yeah, you want to use that word again. There are other there are inline others. drip emitter subsurface systems on Correct. the market. I just haven't used them, and I know, but they're out there. But I but I like net at a fraction of the price. That's true. I, I'm I'm just a spendthrift. All right. Be that way. Uh, email from uh, Mike in Escalon. He says, is it possible to re-listen to today's broadcast? I missed a few things. You sure can, Mike. It's on the podcast page, both the KFPK Garden Show, this show, Get Growing on KSTE, as well as the KSTE Farm Hour, all available as podcasts. Uh, it's on the iHeartRadio app. You can go to kfbk.com or kste.com and go on their on-demand list and find the podcast as well. You can download it from iTunes or your other favorite third-party podcast aggregator. These uh, podcasts go back for months, if not years. So it's out there. So make a note of uh, today's show and uh, go look for it. It's there. He wants some of that math from this morning. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's blueberry soil math. (laughs) All right, uh, let's go to the phones. Who's on the phone? It's Amy in Sacramento. Amy, welcome to Get Growing. Hi. Hi. Um. How, how come you use a half of a third of core and um, um, peat moss instead of just complete core? Excellent question. Excellent question. Um, I'll tell you what, and I was telling Fred, I, 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 have, I have this problem with uh, peat moss as a sustainable, um, uh, what do you call it, resource. And so I'm sensitive to that fact. Um, but um, and and uh, core can be difficult to find, and so I can't take peat moss out of the recommendation because in the in the event that you can't find core, I want you to use an entire third peat. But I would agree with what you're saying entirely. A third core is just fine because you've secured the pH with your with your um, soil sulfur and your base. Um, azalea camellia rhododendron mix which should be fine and the bark and the bark mm-hmm. correct and so with those elements already contributing core becomes an incredible uh, addition because of its water holding capacity and the ability to extend your time between watering and save money and save the environment and do everything that's so good for you that uh, and us that uh, will appreciate your effort how, how long does it keep the water I, I couldn't answer that honestly, but it's but it, it'll extend my watering uh, by about. Um, I, I think my watering got extended with with the use of core regularly by about three days. So I water. I literally only water twice a week in my containers. Oh, how's that? Okay, so so it really helps. Oh, good. I, I can't tell you how much it helps. Where did I, you, I already have. Where did you buy yours? <laughs> it's a he lot. doesn't buy anything. <laughs> oh. He's a salesman. He can talk anybody into giving him anything. <laughs> That's not true. But but I think I think <laughs> one resource that you might try is um, Peaceful Valley Farm Supply. Yeah. Um, give them a shot because I think um, some uh, people have told me that they are now carrying Chunk Core. But, what but brand is it? I mean, there, there's a number of different companies. Like, um, if you go to, <laughs> would your local marijuana supply house? You know, have it? I would. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, when you go to these marijuana supply houses now, they, um, in many cases, will have chunk core available, and it's, it, it's. I just am not in the habit of 
of recommending marijuana supply houses so blatantly, but but some of them are incredibly well stocked and have lots of wonderful things to choose from. So you know, go have fun. There you go, Amy. Okay, thanks. All right, bye bye. And uh, Peaceful Valley does have a good website too, GrowOrganic.com. Hey, Ed said to go to the marijuana uh, uh, pot, uh, supply house. Let's talk about that for a second while we have a, a minute or so here, and. A lot of your fertilizer recommendations over the years have been developed from what you learned from the North Coast marijuana suppliers. I mean, I had the I had the kind of the luxury, and I call it a luxury, of having you know the uh, the uh, North Coast is one of the developing territories when I, with my years with Dave Wilson, and uh, and I saw the nursery industry literally change overnight up there and yeah. become more directed at the pot grower. And so the fertilizers and potting soils and everything yeah. that you're you're using today, you know, they were all tested and developed right. all up there. And and I was using them long before you had them. Yeah. <laughs> and we should point out too that if you go to a place like Eureka, you're not going to some back alley place. You're going to the main hardware store in in Eureka Correct. and finding these. Yeah, products. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Pearson's what a yeah. One, yeah wonderful place. And and I mean and and it's all the way up. You know, one hundred and one. And 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 um, and the products you know have all gone through that same. You know, this is this is you know bogus juice, and this this really has value, and it's all gone through that same kind of you know weeding out, and uh, and the great products really are starting to rise to the top. You know, right? And, I, I, and they're so widely available now, we just don't realize their origins. Correct. And look at how the, the the tremendous effect it had on us. You know, long before marijuana was legalized, you know, the this industry was really affected by. The R and D that was done underground—it's it, mm-hmm. a phenomenal thing to me, and, I, and I'm not a marijuana user by any means. So, but I am a horticulturist, and I did appreciate, research, you know, yeah. yeah, the research, and and I did, and I did have the privilege of meeting some growers that were, you know, UC Davis trained growers that uh, were very dedicated to the, to the um, uh, product, you know, the end product being, you know, a particular quality, and you know, it's. They were one of the first to realize uh, that it, it, it's not the plant, it's the soil. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. You yeah. bet they were. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, let's, let's delve into the future of the nursery industry, shall we? Yeah, that sounds like an interesting, <laughs> okay. interesting topic. All right, we'll <laughs> do that with Ed when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. listening to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman welcome back to the program fred here ed livos here we're answering fruit and nut and berry questions it'll be a fruit nut berry type uh, uh garden grappler coming up at 11 o'clock clue available at uh, the get growing with farmer fred facebook page clue available at farmerfred.com just look for the sentence that says a clue for the garden grappler and you'll find that there Okay, be, before we go into the ethereal, Ed, uh, one more uh, <laughs> fruit tree question here okay. from Dave, who writes in, I did a very hard prune on my apricot trees a couple of years ago. Now it appears they have gamosis, lots of oozing and dead branches. Is it curable? What I would like to know is what time of year he did the pruning on the apple tree, on the uh, apricot tree. Well, first I'd like to know where he's at. Well, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, um, Pseudomonas... It's mm-hmm. called Pseudomonas. It, it is a real common problem with apricots. And if you're looking it up, it begins with a P. Yeah, it begins with a P. That's right. And then, and Pseudomonas is a real common problem with apricots. And, and it's not necessarily because of your pruning. You know, it just, apricots get 
pseudomonas, even if you maybe. don't prune. But it's the timing of the pruning that so, I'm uh, concerned about. Yeah, maybe. All right. Well, you are a contrarian today. <laughs> well, no, no. I'm going to say summer pruning yeah. is much, much better on apricots. Yeah. You don't do any winter pruning at all. I mean, that that's yeah. definite. And that might be more um, for uh, the control of... Um, not, not, Utypa? Yeah, Utypa, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's more for control of Utypa. So I, I think uh, Pseudomonas is just, uh, it's bacterial blast. It's actually caused by the um, bud getting um, very, very fro- frozen you know, mm-hmm. it, it, before it's really dormant. And that just becomes a, an entry point for the, for the inoculum. And, and when I first started in the industry, it was just bacterial canker. You know, it was a right. news on the side of the tree. But now it manifests itself in the form of a blast. They call it a blast. Mm-hmm. And the whole tree gets it. So, I mean, I think it's a problem that's progressing. And I'm no expert on it. You know, I mean, the generality that I just laid it out in is, best, is, is to my best of, best of my understanding. But um, nonetheless, does it recover from that? Yeah, I've seen it recover from bacterial blast. Um, but the, the key here is, is that the health of the tree can take a huge hit. And uh, I suspect you're probably going to have to do a lot of summer pruning to cut that back. And I would suspect that my commercial colleagues would probably tell you to remove the tree. Uh, yeah, and, and I have heard recommendations about don't even try growing cherry trees. And apricots don't do well here. So it's like they're just lining, they're sending that industry someplace else. Yeah. Well, you know, for the home garden, you know, I, I, I tend to say, you know, try everything because, I mean, of course. Yeah, it might work for you. It, it might work for you. And, I mean, I, I, there's, no, I, I, there's no better example than Fred and I sitting right here of people that constantly deal with, well, you said this, and guess what? Yeah. <laughs> My results are entirely different. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's definitely in the ad, adaption of fruit trees. Um, I mean, I can tell you the, the avocado is probably the most blatant in your face example of don't say avocados don't do here. They do here. They just percentage wise. Oh, you <laughs> perked up a lot of people's ears now. Yeah, I know. And I have an avocado question for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyways, you, you know, I would say this. If it's, a, if it's an old apricot tree, you really love it, you know, give it a shot. Do some summer pruning on it. Try to get all that diseased wood out. You're not going to get it all. Guaranteed. And clean up. Clean, clean up, it around, up, it, clean yeah. up around it, right, yeah. that's it. Put down fresh bark. Yeah, as long as you've got new fresh um, growth pushing out of it, you know, cut it back to those points where those, that fresh growth, uh, growth um, uh, originates from. Uh, that would be what I would do. Um, so, but most gardeners, though, when they see something ill in the yard, too much water, too much fertilizer. Correct, but not in the case of pseudomonas. I, you know, well, that's like, I'm just talking about the reactions of people. Oh, of, yeah, yeah, of, of yeah. A yeah. typical home gardener, when sure. they see a problem in the yard, give it water, give it food. Yeah, 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 that's it. That's now, true. Yeah, is there a problem with that? Of course there is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you never give an unhealthy plant fertilizer unless you've determined through a, a soil test or a leaf sample that f- f- uh, fertilizer is actually what it's lacking. You know, right. And water is not a medicine. You know, period. You don't give. I got to tell you, when you're on a hundred mile bike ride, water is a medicine. It's not a medicine for plants that <laughs> are, right. aren't doing well. I mean, the best example of plants that don't do for well for water in, in in California is that if we get a good heavy rain year and it waters like it rains like crazy, and then all of a sudden, you know, in the spring, you know, you uh, as soon as all the trees leaf out, your tree starts to wilt. Mm-hmm. Okay, the first thing you want to do is run yeah, out there water. with water. Yes. Within, when, in fact, you know, it's suffering because it just went through a whole winter time with, worth of water, and that's really why it has symptoms. So, you just answered my avocado question. There you go. All right. <laughs> why are my avocado leaves wilting? 
Yeah, could well, you know, because of the timing of the water this year was, you know, so well, yeah, these March so rains. late. You bet. And yeah. if and if it's a new avocado too, remember yeah. that that's all surface water too as well. And it was raining pretty consistently for quite a while there. And you know, we had uh, low temperatures, so we didn't have yeah. a high uh, evapotranspiration rate. Leave them alone, and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. Oh. Yeah, I remember that one, too. Yes. Okay, well, I'm thinking that exactly is what you need to do in a lot of plant situations, is let it recover on its own. Correct. Or or, no, or, or, or take precautions yeah. in, planting it in planting it in an elevated planting to begin with of some sort. Right plant, right place. Yeah, right plant, right place, exactly. Yeah. You bet. And make, and, and, and make your soil your, most, your biggest concern. Do you like that, Steve? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, what's the old saying? Uh, uh, dig a 54. Uh, fifty dollar hole for a ten uh, for a ten dollar plant. But remember, that's that that's no good anymore either because we don't put any of that stuff in the hole anymore. We stick it on the surface. Well, I think, yeah. Well, the definition of that has changed over the years from digging deep to digging wide. That that I see is about the only benefit of having a rototiller now is when you're digging a hole to plant a tree, you don't want to go any deeper than the pot it came in, but you want to be able to have the roots go out. So if you can till down six or eight inches in a six-foot diameter around that hole yeah. and loosen up that soil... Make it a cone shape, too. That that that, that allows you know, the... That'd be uh, an wa- inverted cone. Yeah, an inverted cone shape. Yeah, yeah right. Because that allows that the water in the outside per- perimeters to, to dissipate faster. When you make a bucket, you know, mm. then, of course... It, the, the water doesn't dissipate on the outside perimeter that fast. So okay. cones are better. All right. That's UC Davis, I believe. I, I, I don't know. I <laughs> don't know. I, I get their home and garden and farm information all confused these days. Yeah, but, but it makes sense, and I've, I, I, I actually support it because it's what we've recommended for years. All right. Our generation, if you're over a certain age, likes to shop for plants in person. We like to feel them, touch them smell them, look at them. But the generations coming up behind us, your Xers, your millennials, your whatever, they're more akin to shopping online for everything. And everybody our age is saying, oh, man, you don't want to buy a plant online. You don't know what you're going to get. And a millennial's reaction may be, well, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And Ed, despite his age, thinks that way. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's try it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I don't, you know, I won't say that I think that way, but I'm a marketing guy, and so yeah, you know, my responsibility is to you know be uh, attentive to where the markets are developing and how they're developing. And I've been an advocate of all independent nurseries getting a storefront e-commerce uh, storefront since the late 90s <laughs> and you have tried that with wholesale growers too three wholesale growers Correct. who embraced the idea originally took it to a certain point and then said uh oh, we got other things to do well no no in all fairness to, to all of them the, the the problems the problems were insects and and the 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 government not allowing any um reasonable uh, idea of what we could do at the time. So, and and I'm just um, I'm an ADD guy, man. I'm going. <laughs> I got I got to move. So, you know, it the the e-commerce market to me has been a developing market for uh, we're going on probably 17 years consistent growth um, in the 20 percent a year bracket yeah. as well, and that becomes more and more significant every year as 20 percent of the market becomes a bigger portion of the entire market. And as you can see online, you know, many 
companies, you know, like Home Depots and the and the Costcos and the Lowe's and and um, Kmart, on and, uh, Kmart, all Walmart, of them, maybe. all of them gone online. But and nursery, but they're all late to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually now have a company that, that I'm not with anybody anymore. I am my own company now, and it's called Edible Solutions. And, and it has a website. It, it well, no, mine doesn't have a website. No, but N- no, but but the company. What you're doing as a website? Correct. We, one of the companies that I recommend is called Home and Garden Fulfillment, which is now um, actually in the process of developing opportunities for the independent nurseries to go out and have the access um, to the e-commerce market in a much more reasonable fashion than they've had before. So, and I and I'm really happy to say that uh, the group that's behind me is a. Uh, a very, very uh, powerful e-commerce marketing group um, with companies like um, Nature Hills Nursery as a part of that um, that company. So we're they're looking to bring more people into this into this fold and create this um, a new a new profit center, if you will, or a new access center. Not not to replace the brick and mortar, of course, but just to address the uh, the millennials' desire to shop online and possibly even the the older seniors who just can't get out as mm-hmm. much anymore and really want to stay gardening, um, they are computer savvy and they are a good portion of that um, that e-commerce market. We have had this conversation for 20 years Easily. Or, or thereabouts. And one of the things you brought up years and years ago was the fact that the website to sell these plants would best off being videos of the actual plants that you would be buying. Yeah. And you could actually watch the video and choose the plant you want. Sure. Yeah, and that, that's another facet that I'm working on with this this group as well. And, uh, and, and happy to say that this group actually not only embraces it, but uh, understands the value. So I, I think it's difficult for traditional, you know, nurseries to, to, to actually grasp, you know, this, this concept. Although they they understand it, you yeah. know they they really don't understand it from a technological standpoint. They really understand it as a profit center, and they understand it, you know, as you know how how we can put the plant in the box and then send it directly to somebody. But, but I, I think to to conceptualize it the the way it's being conceptualized now um, takes an e-commerce. It takes it takes a company that actually specializes in e-commerce nursery, and that's this home and garden fulfillment company that that I have the pleasure of. Uh, working with or their client hgfulfillment.com hgfulfillment.com that's right. right and that's primarily for independent retail nurseries right. to access at least the starting point for and and I can tell you there are no books out there written about this this has been pretty much you know one of my ideas since um, I think I started lecturing on about 1997 yeah yeah, yeah. and um and uh, and the the gentleman that actually is the principal uh, owner of this group um, actually was um, has been a, a colleague since uh, the early 2000s and he him and his team are actually a brilliant group of um, of tech tech folks that understand this and uh, and they grasp the importance of making it available so um, yeah it's pretty exciting every household needs one of those people to reboot the router or <laughs> as my as my son said as my son says the first thing when I call him up is said have you rebooted? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be embarrassed anymore ever to tell him no. <laughs> yes. We'll try that. Yes. <laughs> when in doot, reboot. Yeah. All right. We'll uh, take a break. When we come back, hey, people with garden questions at 916 576 1578. 
866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Ed Livo, we're talking fruit and nut trees and berry vines and all that good stuff. And he'll be judging the Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, and the clue is associated, well, I won't say what the clue is associated with. The clue is below the picture of Ed measuring the height of the roof line of a 65 Buick Riviera. And that's the height of his fruit trees, too. That Riviera had a low roof. I was surprised at how low that car is. Oh, yeah. yeah well, that's, and that, and, it, and it's actually higher in that picture. Do you know that? I did not know that. No, it's because it's still got the stock rims on it, I believe. Yeah. When you, you, you picked an old picture. But that's right after I got the paint job done. Taken, the picture taken by Mike Tomlinson, he wants everybody to know. It was. It, okay. was, it was taken by Mike. All right, Mike, out down at uh, Dave Wilson Nursery. Yep. Back to the phones we go. Richard in Oroville, thanks for hanging in there. I've got two questions that I've been concerned about for a while for growing fruit trees. One of them is underground water, uh, subsurface watering. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a lot of chips. I've been putting chips for a couple of years on the, on the ground, and I, I, I'm fearful to put things underground because I, then I don't know the water's not working when it plugs up. Get yourself a, get, get yourself a plug puller. It's a, it's a T-like device, and I think um, Green Acres sells them. And it's a T-like device that you just push down in the ground and you can pull a whole core sample out adjacent to your tree and take a look at the profile of your soil. And you can tell how wet, you know, your soil is. And that'll actually help you to tune in your uh, your drip irrigation or your irrigation system as well. I'd recommend that. I carry one in my truck just just to, to kind of make people go, oh. <laughs> I'll make it even easier for you. If you go to the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page, you'll see a picture of one on the left and Perfect. you can click on the link and get more information about it and it's a soil mean, soil sampling i have to go around every week no of course not tree no no but i'll give you the same thing that i tell you know talk about in every lecture i do that has anything to do with irrigation and that is that your responsibility as a gardener is to become acquainted with what your soil does in your you know your your particular environment. It doesn't take. Let me write you, this down. All gardening is local. All okay. gardening is local. That's right. And and you becoming familiar with what your soil does in your garden um, only takes a season or two before you have a pretty good uh, understanding. But remember, you know, fruit trees get older. You know, and their demands get a little bit higher as they get older because they get larger. And so you make adjustments relative to that by, you know, maybe once a year you pull a core sample to make sure that the irrigation's satisfying, you know, what uh, what your expectations are. I'm concerned are. about the, the, um, the subsurface uh, water, the emitter being plugged. No, okay. no, not on Netafim. Netafim well, doesn't plug. Oh, quit, quit selling Netafim. Okay. I can't sub, afford that, according sub, to Fred. Yeah, what can I use? It's not going to plug up. Some, well, may I offer a compromise here? Go ahead, please. <laughs> For The way I like to irrigate my fruit trees is not with subsurface drip irrigation, but with microsprayers. And the microsprayers sit above the line, above the ground, and basically spray in a low trajectory on either side of the tree, 180-degree sprayers on either side of the tree. That way, when the system is operating, you can see if water's coming out or not. 
but I'm watering a foot of, of chips. Will it even get into this? Thank soil? you. Thank you. I mean, that's what I was going to come back and say. Right. I mean, my, that's what I've got. I've got, you know, probably four to six inches of chips, you know, around the base of my fruit tree. So I gave up on microjets years ago simply because I was always afraid that I was getting just down to below the mulch and the, nothing was going into the ground. And then trying to imagine the mulch with all of its porosity, you know, wind blowing across it, heat during the daytime, how much evaporation was I actually getting from that application of water. You know, even if I applied it in the evening, the chips hold water. They retain water. And so that just becomes a part of the water loss to evaporation. So I went underground years ago, and and I'm going to say this because because Fred's just conveniently sitting right here, but I went underground because Fred had made such a big dang deal of it, (laughs) and so I started fooling around with it. And sure enough, I really like the results. And like Fred, some of my irrigation now in my new house has been underground for eight years. You know, and I don't have plug problems. And to be exact, I'm going to add, I have to add a couple of rungs onto some of my high-density plantings, three-in-one hole plantings um, in my top tier because they're older. You know, they just need another rung. If I can make emitters don't get plugged. No, no, they don't get If I may offer... Never, ever. Please, here. (laughs) When Ed says subsurface drip irrigation, there is more than one brand on the market. That's correct. And if you go to the Farmer Fred Rant blog page, there's a link on the left for subsurface inline drip emitter irrigation at a a, a fraction of the price. And I have used uh, subsurface drip for years with no problems. Right, and just Thank make I've just, got, just make sure it's question. no clogging. I've got I've got some trees that I healed in, and uh, how long can I can I leave them two years? And how do you dig them up after two years? <laughs> oh, that's a nightmare. <laughs> if you, you're, what do you mean by healing healed in? You, you got mean, them in a raised bed, just sitting there, just temporarily. No, no I dug a trench and filled it with sand. <laughs> oh. And it, well, I'm, trench, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going to say that everything that you're kind of visioning is incorrect, but close. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it was supposed to be temporary. Yeah, no, I would, I would put them in containers. Uh-huh. If it's going to be temporary, pull them out of that healing in bed and, and plant them in containers and hold them in containers you know, in the meantime. Put them in a 15-gallon container, a nice, large size container in... in you know, as opposed to what we were talking about, blueberries, yeah. bare root fruit trees will root into those Can 15 gallons. Can you imagine gallons. the root size of something sitting in sand for two years? Uh, it'd be almost, you, you, you would have, can you imagine the tree size? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> commercially, what did they do commercially with uh, when, they, when they're growing the They have a big machine. No, no, no. They, <laughs> they wait for the year that they're going to plant to order, or either have their order trees on order and they wait for the year that they're going to plant. So that's when they would buy them. You're, you're, you've bought the trees and want to hold them, you know, for that time. I would, I would think your best option would be containers. So what do quickly, quickly, we're getting late. He's talking about commercially. How do they get the three-year-old tree out of the ground? Right. Well, they they don't. I mean, they 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 don't sell. Well, except for maybe walnuts, they don't sell three-year-old trees. You know, walnuts they do. How do they get them out of the ground? Well. A big machine. No, yeah, big machine after three <laughs> yes. years. And, and walnuts don't have a tremendous root system when they come out of the ground. They're, they're you know, very big taproot. And so 
um, there's no big extensive root system like you're going to have on a plum or a peach or a cherry. You're going to have a massive root system after two years. And I would say the odds are, unless you're undercutting that root constantly during the, the period, I'm trying to think out loud here, but um, unless you're undercutting that root constantly during that two-year period, I mean, you, the odds are we got to go. Trees are going to go. die anyways. We got to go. Bye. Thank you. All right, thanks. All right. Okay, more get growing on the way on Talk 650-KSDE. Don't forget, Garden Grappler coming up in just a few minutes. Your chance to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Ed Leibel will be judging the Garden Grappler and uh, get set to win, and we'll try not to give away any answers on the air. Good luck to us. And so it's uh, the Garden Grappler leading off hour number two of Get Growing as we continue on this April the 22nd on Get Growing on Talk 650-KSDE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let me get my paperwork out here. It's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on your fruit tree or nut tree variety knowledge. Ed Livo will be the judge and hanging jury for today's competition, and he doesn't even know what the question is yet. <laughs> and, and Ed, your job for the next 15 or 20 minutes or so is, is don't make give up a, answers don't give up or don't give out answers <laughs> okay I'll try, um, I'll try you know, it, and it may be difficult but we'll try the question is name a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name no okay all right i mean you come on ed anyway there is a clue available at farmerfred.com there is a clue available at the get growing with farmer fred facebook page name a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name and remember, the key word here is variety. I'll say right off the top of the bat, don't say peach. You can name a variety of peach, but, I mean, there are, yes, peach is a name, I guess, peaches or whatever. But it's got, it's got to be a human name, correct? Yes, a hu- or, or a pet name. A, oh, a pet, too? Well, whatever. A person, no, I guess person, person's name. A Let's person's say, name. A person's name. Okay, person's name. All right, so, but it has to be a variety. You just can't be, you can't just say peach or cherry but that's not a person's name. Oh, there must be somebody running around named Cherry. Yeah. Just maybe. like there's somebody running around named Peach, I'm sure. And somebody named Chastity as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, yeah. But yes. anyway, name a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name. Okay. All right. Terry, you ready for this? All right. He's ready. He's ready to tackle your phone calls with the answer to that question. 916 576 1578. Or toll-free, 866-331-8255. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So have a backup answer, if you would please. Thank you very much. The numbers again, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. All right. Now, Ed, what do we talk about where we don't mention any names of uh, offhand of fruit or nut tree varieties? Um, <clears throat> well, <laughs> uh, tell me about your yard. My yard. Yeah. Now you did all the work on your yard. Yeah, I yeah, did. And you live on a hillside. I do. It's all terraced. Um, it's how'd uh, you terrace it? I dug it out by I, hand. By hand. You didn't rent a cat or no, anything. No, right? I threw. I threw the every day I came off off of work and yeah. I. Went into the backyard, and I picked and shoveled and threw all the dirt up the hill, then built my retaining walls, and then got went up to the next level, 
pushed all that dirt down and filled behind my retaining wall and then started in on the next level and I built three tiers. And this is behind your house? Behind my house. It's okay. my backyard. So yeah. water is going to flow towards your house? Uh, correct. But it all gets trapped behind these three two, three uh, retaining walls. and Trapped? Yeah. Well, right. not well, trapped. That, okay. Well, that's what I want to talk about because captured. in the time that you built those retaining walls, and the current time, we have we've had tre- some atmospheric rivers come tre- in. Tremendous amounts. All yeah, right. Tremendous amounts of water. Where did the water go? Um, I, I hope that it perked down into the soil below because that's what it's supposed to do and that's what it's designed to do. So did you have French drains or some sort of uh, drainage system to divert that water from below? Only at the, only the, at the front of the um, at the front of each one of the um, uh, walls. retaining walls. Okay, at the front of the walls, not the rear of the walls. No, well the re- you know and when I got to the top wall, mm-hmm. um, the rear of the wall was uh, about five feet <laughs> tall. So let's see, at eight dollars <laughs> per rock. Yeah, yeah, you, it, it was pretty pretty tall. Wow. And then I, but but the top wall eventually, you know, it's a four foot tier on the top. Mm-hmm. So I backfilled that. So I had roughly about a foot difference between the front of the, the front of the retaining wall and the back, and I just leveled that, made that all pretty level. You can't even tell that there's a, you know, that there's a certain pitch there now. Did you use the existing soil? Uh, always, yeah. yeah. All the all existing soil. You bet. And now, you know, now I've got four years, three years, you know, just. You know, using um, mulches, tops, mm-hmm. uh, or, um, cover crops, you know, and co- and compost. How do you get from the bottom to the top? Oh, actually, I built um, staircases. So I have a stair. I have a the center of uh, the the whole the whole thing is uh, a big herb garden. So right off the patio, uh, just right at the base of the uh, of the whole thing is a is this beautiful herb garden. And then you go up to the on the right hand side. And that leads up to some espaliers at the top of the hill with some oranges planted in um, in, in uh, tiers, um, two tiers coming down, and then a third orange in a container at, on the uh, first tier. And then you get up at the top, and I've got espaliers across the top, uh, but that's a big vegetable garden bed up there. Then you go over to the other side of the staircase that comes up the middle. Talking to the microphone. Yeah, we, uh, yeah I'm trying to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the other side, which has a staircase that goes up the middle. The other side has fruit trees at the top, and that's all mulched. And uh, and actually, I've got my trellis up there. I'm gonna for the first time in probably ten years, I'm gonna trellis my pumpkins again. So oh, I, okay. I trellis pumpkins, and so I've got that as a signature. That's up between the fruit trees, so that it'll be real, real evident from my patio. This beautiful display of um, trellis pumpkins. The practical farmer Fred asks, "How do you get a wheelbarrow up there?" Um, actually, I've got this cart that um, it's a smaller cart, and it goes up pretty easily. Oh, it does. So yeah, a, a two-wheel yeah. cart. Yeah, two-wheel cart. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you're basically. Pulling it backwards up the stairs. Yeah, pulling it back up the stairs. And That's right. taking it down, you're you're hoping that it doesn't go out of control and take you with it yeah um you know the the funny thing is is that i haven't had any real reason to have you know other than mulch Mm -hmm. i mean in compost you know bringing compost and mulch up there right you know but that's not coming back down it's just going up do you wish you had a ramp um it's a good question probably in about five years (laughs) (laughs) i will you know it'll be more uh it'll be more evident then but 
now, you know, it, it, it really suits what I wanted to do. I always wanted to terrace a yard. Mm-hmm. And this, this, you wanted to? Are you, I, I did. Are you a masochist? I, no, I always, I always had that in my mind, you know, okay. a vision, you know, like, like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon or something like that. In the back of my mind, I always thought it'd be a lot of fun to terrace a yard. And when main houses were just so difficult at the time. Yeah. And when we came on this one, um, actually, I had the square footage, but there was a hill. Right. And I mind you. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, just like you, you know, you, you know, you get a house, you like the house and you go, it's not quite what I'm looking for as far as my gardening is concerned. So I'll adjust my gardening. And, and I looked at that as being an opportunity to, you know, learn something different and have something different to offer. What are the dimensions of the areas in the retaining walls as far as the gardening space? Um, let's see the, the beds on the, on the uh, south side are, are 60, 60 by eight, 60 by eight, 60 by uh, 60 by eight, 55 by eight. And then the top, the top kind of the, the yard kind of goes not, not in a pie shape, but mm-hmm. it, it's narrower towards my neighbor's yard. But um, it starts out at um, it starts out at eight foot. OK, so all of them are eight feet wide. Yeah. How do you get around in each bed without stepping on the plants? I, I have the um, I have the pathway set up right a- against the retaining wall. How wide are the pathways? Uh, you know, roughly about um, I don't know two feet. Two feet. Yeah, okay. Two feet. Do you have a pathway along the back of it as well? Just just along the back because because I can access the way I designed this. I can access the 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 front of the bed above. Okay. From the pathway. Uh, yeah. You know, in both in both cases, so I really don't need to have access on on both sides. Do you wish you made those pathways a little wider? I only had so much room, and so I had to make exceptions, and I had to, you know, figure out what was you know the maximum maximum that I kind of hard to move a two wheeled cart along a two foot pathway. I, I, again, I, you know, I can shovel from you know just about anywhere pretty easily, so it really has. And then I've got gates, you know, that come in off of the main. The, the main uh, staircase going yeah. in the center. And I, I've got gates that you can just pull right in. You know, you can pull your cart right in there, my little two-wheeler okay. in there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I would take a bigger area. Wouldn't if, we all? If I, yeah, that's right. If I, and I have a small little piece of lawn because we have, you know, our dog and a number of other dogs that visit regularly, and we mm-hmm. want to make sure that they have a place to be comfortable. Aren't those coyotes? We have those as well. We have coyotes and we have turkeys and we have, uh, we haven't seen any mountain lions yet, no. but, but they're right next door. We hear about them all the time. Skunks, possum? Um, possums, yes. We've seen skunks. No, we haven't seen any skunks. Okay. I, I have I have gophers. Yeah. You know, I How mean. How do they do that? How do they go through the rock? <laughs> well, it's not rock. It's silica. You know, my. Oh, my right. You're my, in Contra Costa County. You yeah. bet. My, um, my soil in some places is like talcum powder. Hmm. I mean, literally like talcum powder. I mean, if you put it on glass, and I've done this, you put it on glass, it looks like talcum powder. So you put talcum powder next to it, and what's the difference between the two? Uh, laundry day hell. No. no. If, you take, if you take and put your finger on the silica, it spreads apart. Mm-hmm. If you put it on the talcum powder, it smudges. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's the only, you couldn't tell the difference between either of them. And that's what the whole mining back up there was all about for years after the coal mining um, kind of slowed down. They switched to this silica and they mined it for glass to make glass. And I've got veins of it running through my house. It's it's cool stuff. Probably good drainage. The drainage is good, but the soil stinks. I mean, it's yeah. you know the soil just is 
really devoid of organic matter. <laughs> Heavens knows I used that excuse in Herald uh, for many years about the, the, the rotten soil, and people would, who had never visited would look and say, you sure got a lot of plants growing here for soil that's not good. It takes time. Yeah, it just takes, it time, takes but, time. But we forget that in our own estimation. We forget that the successes. We forget to look at our successes and only look at the problems. Yeah, yeah. I think that you and I, though, you know, share that. I mean, the the, the whole thing is about problems. I mean, I remember yeah. the first time I came out to your place, you know, we were we were talking about mulch. Yeah. You know, we were talking about the value of mulch, and I was trying to convince you how important it was. But you had already done elevated plantings. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. already knew the value of that. Oh, oh, yeah. If, yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, you had that, the pluots and stuff were all in elevated plantings, yeah. Yeah. which was really cool. And I said, you got to mulch the mounds too. Yeah. You know, that's, that was the big deal. And my thinking was, yeah, you know, if I mulch the mounds, then I wouldn't have to be pulling as many weeds. Yeah. Because yeah. wouldn't be as many weeds. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that was, did you end up mulching those oh, mounds? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's, and then we did, we did that raised bed cherry for the TV yeah. show. <laughs> That was pretty cool. <laughs> three cherry trees and a three by three raised bed. Yeah, let me tell you they're, what. They're, when I left the place, they were still alive. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, man, I, I mean, I, I, I see, I've seen them in other places. Yeah. They do really well. All right. Well, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get to your answers in the Garden Grappler. Name a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on. Get growing on Talk Six Fifty KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we have five people lined up. Five people who say they can name a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name. And uh, judging this competition, of course, will be Ed Livo. Ed Livo, with uh, decades of fruit and nut tree experience, knows about every variety. He was probably able to, in his head, come up with at least uh, 20 varieties in his head that included a person's name just while we were talking. Uh, truly, I didn't think about it at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ed. All right. Well, you told me, don't mention a variety. If I fill my head oh, full of variety. Okay, all right. <laughs> Roberta in, in Garden Valley, go ahead and give us an answer, would you please? Oh, I'm up first at bat. Okay. Yep. Good morning. Hi, Ned. good morning. Friend Ned. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite peaches. It's a freestone, and it's the oh Henry. Oh Henry, oh, yeah. There you go. Great choice. Yeah. And it, it, it is. It, it should be your favorite. It's it should be everybody's favorite. It's one of the greats. And that's a that's yes. a birchall variety, birchall nursery varieties. And they're still in the fruit tree business. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, right. birchall nursery is still up there on top, and they've uh, they introduced that variety years and years ago, and it's that's and right. It's yeah. Definitely a favorite. Good answer there, Roberta. And what do we have for everybody today, Fred? We have uh, oh uh, from the folks at Cooperative Extension, a wonderful multi-page that's going to cost me extra postage to mail uh, brochure on fruit trees pruning a uh, training and pruning and, uh, and my own handout on how to save heirloom tomato seeds because next saturday of course is official tomato planting day here in sacramento so no it's not a fruit tree it's a fruit bush thank Shame. you thank wow. you roberta there you Good. Go. <laughs> we will keep we will keep doing this until uh i feel like big brother sometimes here but it's okay fine. yeah thanks oh, yeah. roberta you're welcome. Have a good day. You're All good. right. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Number two on the uh, the old uh, hit parade here, Marilyn in Sacramento. Hello. Marilyn, what's your dog's name? 
Um, my dog's name is Little Dog, actually. Little Dog. Okay. Hi, Little Dog. Well, is Little Dog yeah, in your you lap? Can probably hear him. Yeah. Nope. We are at the river. He's on. He's on the leash. Oh, okay. And he, and he sees something and he wants it. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. So go ahead, Marilyn. Do you, do you want? Do you want the little dog? You can just have him. No, no. I I, I try that with my own dogs whenever I take them for a walk, and it never works. No, no, it never does, huh? No. Um, okay. I'm ready. Uh, how about Eva's Pride Peach? Good choice. Yeah, that's a that's a Zager hybrid, and uh, absolutely a wonderful, wonderful early season peach, and great low chill quality. But I'd say. Um, we enjoyed it every year. Dave Wilson um, just does well in the in the regular climates as well. A little early blooming, yeah. so it could get creamed on a year like this. But taste test winner. Oh, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Right. Red radiates into the flesh. It's really cool. Good answer, Marilyn. So I'll be sending you that Thanks. wonderful information. I do have a very quick question, if that's okay. Yeah, and I also know there's no such thing as a really quick question, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, what's the, t- the good time of year to prune my lemon tree? Uh, it's about three years old, and I've never pruned it. Right now. Yeah. yeah really? Right, right now. Right now. Right now. During the frost-free season, also yeah. well before the start of frost-free season. So basically any time from late March through uh, uh, mid-August. I yeah, guess. just be careful. Don't take off too much you know, right now, because just as much as we went cold after a freak winter, you know, we could go hot right now as well. So you want to be re- careful about taking off too much. But if you just want to check the growth, get some breaks down, you know, uh, further down in the canopy, go ahead and cut it back a little bit. Just don't cut it back more than, say, a third. Okay, yeah, I thought that was the general rule. All right, thanks, yeah, it, guys. It's, it's a general rule, but but I'll get more aggressive than that, believe me. It just depends on the <laughs> time of the year relative to the heat. Yes, we're, it's all relative. Yeah, it is. Right. It's always relative. <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Marilyn. All right. Okay. Thank you, Fred. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Caller number three in the Garden Grappler, it's Jeannie in Orangevale. Hi, Jeannie. Hi. How are you today? We're doing fine. What What do you have for a peach, or I not a peach, kind of, but a, a fruit? Kind of ordinary, but a, a Bing cherry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are people named Bing. Yeah, there are. There are. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. My brother's best friend. That's right. His name was Bing. <laughs> okay. All right. He was probably conceived during uh, listening to... Uh, I don't know, White Christmas or something. <laughs> That's true. That's right, Bing, Car- Bing Crosby. I'm glad you did that because, you know, I was trying to remember Bing's. <laughs> and all I can remember is my brother's friend, Bing. But well, that works. Yeah, yeah that did. That okay, Jeannie, I'll, I'll be sending you that brochure on uh, uh, fruit tree training and pruning as well as how to save heirloom tomato seeds. And remember, at the, so remember at the local farmer's market, everything's a Bing. That's- <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks, Jeannie. All right. Is that true? Uh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, but it, it sells cherries. Yeah, okay. All right. Next up, let's go to Alta and talk with Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Hi. So go ahead, Lynn. Give us a fruit or nut tree variety that includes a person's name. Well, I love the Bing, but I'll go with Queen Anne Cherry. Queen yeah, Anne. Yeah, Queen Anne. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Queen, yeah, Queen Anne's not probably as popular anymore. It's kind of fallen out of favor to... Um, uh, and this isn't a name. Okay, all right. Rainier. Rainier. Yeah, Rainier. That's I bet a, there's somebody named Rainier somewhere. Yeah, there is, but yeah. you know, I, I, it's a mountain, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was probably, probably named after a person. It, last name. Yeah. yeah. Well, Anyways. <laughs> but that's a good answer, and uh, we have for you that information on fruit tree uh, training and pruning and how to save heirloom tomato seeds. I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lynn. Thanks for calling. All right. Uh-huh. 
And call at number five in today's Garden Grappler. It's in Folsom. It's Patrice. Hi, Patrice. Hi. Hey, hey, Patrice. I tell you what. If you can come up with a fruit or nut tree variety that isn't named O. Henry, Eva's Pride, Bing, or Anne, as in the Queen Anne Cherry, I have for you uh, bonus prizes, which include... Oh, you're in Sacramento County? I have one left of the Master Gardener Gardening Guiding Calendar for the Valley from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners that will be coming your way. And two tickets to next weekend's Folsom Garden Club Garden Tour. I'm so excited. I know one of the ladies in the group, so that would be fabulous. And my answer is a Washington Naval Orange. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Washington Naval. It's a dude's last name. <laughs> oh, there's probably a first somebody named Washington out there. there yeah, there probably, there probably yeah, is. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't say it had to be a first name, just well, you a know, person's well, name. You know, what's amazing is that the, I think the Washington Naval Orange got its name simply because the first place it was introduced in the United States was Florida and Washington, and uh, Washington, D.C., Oh really? Yeah. How'd that work out? <laughs> well, actually, I I think it failed in 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 uh, Florida, as I recall, yeah. and um, and then um, the uh, woman and I I can't remember oh, her name who picked yes. it up in Pasadena, right? Yeah. yeah, was given it by the USDA out yeah. of Washington, and so she took it to California, and right. and then history was made. Inter- and the original the original is still um, uh, growing down in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. I, I interviewed the woman who wrote the book called A History of Citrus in California. Yeah. I remember her relating that story of, of this woman who ordered, she had a friend who worked back in for the Department of Agriculture right. who had these cuttings or seeds or something, and it was like a long, perilous journey to get them from Washington, D.C. to California. Yep, yeah, that's right. All right. Hey, so Patrice, I, I'll, I'll be sending you a bunch of stuff. Yay! Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Hey, Farmer Fred, I love your uh, bluegrass music you play every once in a while, so uh, keep it going, man. I will. Thank you for, I don't know where you came from, but thank you. Yes, I appreciate that, too. <laughs> we, we we will always play, as long as they keep letting me play uh, all the tunes of uh, John Fahey and uh, why are all the names escaping me? There's, uh, oh, come on, Fred. I'm not leaving until I remember these other artists. Uh, you're not helping, Ed. I know I'm not. I'm, yeah. I, I, look at you and I are in a yeah. fog. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm in a fog after doing a, a, a metric century yesterday in the Sierra, and Ed's in a fog because he went and watched his favorite team get no hit by the Oakland A's. Thanks. Yeah, anytime. Reminder. All right. Uh, <laughs> wow, it's just going to bug me until I remember. Oh, um, it, uh, um, yeah, he wrote 16 tons. Um, oh, well, there's Chet Atkins. He's on there. He's on the list. John Faye's on the list. Yeah. Um, tell you what, as soon as Terry plays a song, I'll remember. Okay. I, I know these guys. He's an ex-DJ. <laughs> They're all ex-DJs. Yeah. Uh, all right. Ed. Yes. Thanks for coming to the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Ed Livo. <laughs> Uh, if you want some information about one facet of what Ed is doing, uh, check out uh, hgfulfillment.com, which is an uh, insight into what could be the future of uh, selling plants uh, over the internet. Sure, sure. And if you're if you're if you are a retailer, that's probably you probably want to look at that and take a look and see, 
you know, what may be available here pretty quick. Yeah, so. it's amazing. Uh, we have uh, wonderful parting gifts for all our guests. And for you, I, I chose a fine book from the Farmer Fred collection called Uncommon Fruits and Vegetables. So you can enjoy that or use it as a doorstop. Actually, it's a, it's a wonderful book, but not so uncommon. Okay. I, I've been browsing through it, and it's okay. It, it's it, it is uncommon if you don't get around fruit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. Well, I knew what I was dealing with here. But thanks anyway. Ed. But there's a lot of great recipes. Yes, there are recipes <laughs> yeah. in there too. All right. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate what, it. What was the other parting? No. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm still trying to Merle, Merle Travis, Merle Travis, Merle Travis. There's the answer. Yeah. Wow. All right. Good. Now I can take a break. And when we come back, we'll pay a visit to uh, Debbie Arrington. And she's going to be talking about the upcoming Sacramento Rose Show, which is next Saturday. Coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up Saturday, April 28th, it's the Sacramento Rose Society Show and Sale. It's their 70th anniversary, and even though April 28th is official tomato planting day, they have the gall to go ahead and have a rose show, but that's okay. It's always the last weekend of April, and we're talking with Debbie Arrington, Sacramento Bee Garden Writer and Consulting Rosarian with the Sacramento Rose Society. And Debbie, big show coming up, big anniversary, and we should point out it's a one-day-only event, and not only a show but it's a sale as well yes because we found a use for roses that don't make it into the show they'll be sold uh, by the stem to the public and it's been a wonderful addition to the show because for among the people that bring lots and lots of roses is baldo viegas uh he usually has oh at least 200 roses that he brings but he doesn't have enough time to enter all those roses in the show so Baldo's extra roses, as well as roses from lots of other folks, will be offered for sale. And these roses are not roses that you can find in any floral shop because they're homegrown, beautiful roses. Uh, and it's something that's very special and something very different. And they'll be available at the show. And it's going to be at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center in McKinley Park, 3330 McKinley Avenue. And it's a yes. one-day-only event. It's Saturday, April 28th. And it's afternoon only, 1 to 5 p.m. Why is it afternoon only? Because in the morning, we're busy setting up the show. <laughs> People can drop off their flowers and arrangements in the morning from 6.30 to 10. And then we have judging during the lunch hour. And then at 1 o'clock, we open to the public. Now, you mentioned that in the morning, people can bring their arrangements. And it's not just Sacramento Rose Society members who can do that. If, if you're just an avid rose grower and you think you've got a nice rose arrangement, you could bring that in, couldn't you? And it's actually much easier for people, if they're going to participate in the show for the first time, to do so with cut flowers, uh, because we do allow novices to enter, and novices are anybody that hasn't won a blue ribbon in the show yet. They can bring cut stems from 6.30 to 10, and if you're going to enter a rose, the, the idea is to give it a good long stem. Um, if it's a full-size rose, you know, think of a stem at least a foot long. Um, you know, There's a whole idea of the ratio between the bloom size and the stem size but just you know cut the stem about a a foot long make sure it still has leaves on it because foliage is part of the judging as well as the flower and we have an area that's just for people that are first time or second time uh, entries that that they compete in their own category of novices Uh, but then you can also compete in other categories in the show 
because we have all sorts of different roses. We have almost a hundred different categories that we award trophies and ribbons in. Um, we also have a category for the most fragrant rose. And even if you don't know what the rose variety is, if you don't know if any information on that rose, if it's a flora bunda or a grand flora or whatever, you can tell if it smells great. And if you've got a wonderful smelling rose, you can bring that and enter it in the most fragrant category. And that category is judged by the public during the afternoon where they can go and vote for which ones that they like. We also, for the first time, this uh, rose show, we're allowing the public to enter their own rose photos and bring them on Saturday morning also. And these are photos of roses in the garden or in the vase or in, in displays or wherever. But we do like to have them uh, all consistent, you know, because it is a judge uh, show where they, the photos need to be eight by 10 and matted on 11 by 14 mat. Uh, those are things they can, you know, enter that are pretty easy. The novice category, uh, the best smelling rose category, as well as photos of roses. Now, you mentioned uh, the criteria for entering a rose into competition, a, a long stem, a bloom, and, and, mm-hmm. and several leaves. I guess that would be true, too, if people are trying to identify a rose in their own yard and they want to bring in a sample to have the consulting rosarians there attempt to identify it. That's one of the great things about the rose show is that it's an opportunity for the public to learn a lot about roses. And so often people have a favorite rose in their garden or they moved into a house, they're not familiar with the plants, and they need to ha- have an idea of those flowers. Because once you know what the flowers are, you have a greater appreciation for them. They can bring in a sample of that, that rose, you know, so you, like you said, a, a cut stem with, with leaves, um, or a photo. Uh, and if, and if they take photos, you know, and, it, and it's easy with your phone, take a photo of the bloom as well as a photo of the whole plant. So you have an idea of what the plant shape is like and what its growth habit is like. And the foliage, because those are all hints to what that identification should be. The Sacramento Rose Show always has special displays going on at each show. What's special for 2018? Uh, Among the displays that we'll have at the show is a great display of old garden roses from the Historic City Cemetery. The Heritage Rose Group at the cemetery, uh, the last several years, they put on this lovely display of roses from their collection. And it's a great chance to see the different varieties of roses and not just, you know, your contemporary hybrid teas and for abundance, but roses that were growing in Sacramento more than 150 years ago. And it's just a really interesting uh, addition to the show. And in our arrangements categories, our theme this year is Lucky Seven. So we have lots of different seven themed arrangements that from seven stars in the Big Dipper, the seven colors of the rainbow, to seven dwarfs. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the roses of 2018. The weather has been very strange. It's been hot. It's been cold. It's been windy. There's been hail. It's late April. What do the roses of Sacramento look like this week? Confused. Yes. <laughs> it is. It has been a, a, a difficult spring for rose growers, and we have been getting a we're not quite at panic stage, but uh, we need the we need a warm week to bring out the roses uh, to be their best. We had a, what looked like it was going to be an early spring because we had that that sudden warm up back in uh, late February and March, and so roses were opening really rapidly, and a lot of roses even bloomed out if they were pruned early. Um, but then that cold spell came on and it just put on the brakes, and so a lot of roses that were pruned in a, a more normal time, like in late January or February, 
Um, they are just beginning to bud out right now. Hail was a disaster because it just pulverized them. Um, but when the, the green bud stage, it wasn't so bad. I did notice that I had some holes in my foliage uh, from hail because hail is, you know, they punches little holes and things. The, the problem with hail is it causes little micro injuries to plants where you can then see, you know, little injuries and other problems on the plants later. What are some of the diseases that are rampant among roses right now? What with all the changes in the weather? Well, this weird weather has really brought out the black spot. In Sacramento, we usually don't see that much black spot until September or October. It tends to be more of a, a fall problem. Uh, but in this spring, because of the, the way the weather is whiplashed back and forth, it's activated that fungal disease. So we're seeing a lot of outbreak of, of black spot. And black spot, um, it looks just like its name. It's a black spot on the foliage. Um, they kind of look like little fringed black dots um, about the size oh, of a pea. Um, but then they get bigger, um, and eventually they make those leaves fall off. A lot of roses didn't lose all their foliage as they normally would, and that old foliage had that fungal disease on it, whether you saw it or not. And when the, this weather happened, all of a sudden, all the foliage gets covered in these black spots. Among the UC Cooperative Extension recommendations for reducing black spot on roses, irrigate and hose off aphids in the morning instead of the evening or night. Don't plant roses too close together. Prune the canopies to increase air circulation and be sure to dispose of fallen rose leaves and stems. And of course, good advice whenever planting roses, make sure they'll receive at least six to eight hours of full sun. It's the 70th anniversary of the Sacramento Rose Society show and sale, one day only, Saturday, April 28th, 1 to 5 p.m. at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard in McKinley Park in the building right across the street from the tennis courts. So it's always free, free parking as well. Debbie Arrington, Sacramento Bee Garden writer and consulting rosarian with the Sacramento Rose Society. Thanks for your time today. You're most welcome and see you at the Rose Show. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And that would be Merle Travis walking the strings. Uh, Welcome back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. He's a patient man, but then maybe it's too cold there to garden. I'm not sure. Let's find out. Charlie in Brooklyn. Hey, Fred. How you doing? No, it's nice out here. Oh. None of my tomatoes are in. <laughs> well, good. I, it has to be too early uh, for planting tomatoes in New York at this time of year. You would year. think so, but there's people in my community garden that have tomatoes in already and a couple of pepper plants. Oh, my. What about? Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah. Well, good luck to them. They don't listen. You try to tell them, but, you know. Yeah. That's uh, so... Mm-hmm. Good for you. When you were talking to Ed, does that same recipe work for up here? Oh, yeah. The yeah, the blueberry soil mix. What blueberries need is a low pH soil around 5.0 to 5.5. And that mix that Ed was talking about certainly uh, fills the bill that way. So if you're growing blueberries, be they uh, northern high bush or southern high bush. And in New York, you'd be growing northern high bush blueberries. Yeah. And again, it's... Uh, one third of a small bark, like a pathway bark, one third of a acid soil mix that you can find at just about any nursery. It might say camellia soil or azalea soil or whatever. 
Uh, and then we and we debated between peat moss and core for the final third, and we settled on a compromise: uh, half peat moss, half core chunks. All right. And uh, and a handful of soil sulfur, as Ed would remind you. And uh, yeah, and again, what we learned today from Ed is, of course, I planted my blueberries all wrong because I went straight from the original container they came in into a large watering trough, and I should have taken it up gradually into a medium-sized container and allow it to grow there and then move to a permanent location in a raised bed or a uh, trough or whatever you use for yeah, a large container. Yeah, there's people in the garden here. I want to try to, there's the people out that could tell, you know, listen, this is what I heard, blah, 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 I want to try it. You can listen to the podcast and everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the thing with the cherries, there is a, a Renair, Prince Renair, right? Oh, yeah, no, there is a Rainier cherry, yeah, yeah, and there is a Prince Rainier, too, so, yeah, Rainier would have worked. Yeah. Yeah, no. I was no. going to call up, and I said, now, nah, let them people from California win. Thank <laughs> you, yes, that's mighty <laughs> generous of you. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Charlie, good to hear All from right, you. Cool. All right, All see right. you. All right, happy planting. All right, All you right. too, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, and, of course, next Saturday, April 28th, official tomato planting day here in Sacramento. Uh, as you know, to my dying day, I will be saying that. <laughs> it's my legacy for Sacramento. All right, uh, garden events. There's a ton going on, including today. Let's uh, enumerate and elucidate upon them. Uh, over in Davis, uh, the Yellow County Master Gardeners have a get-together at the Mary Stevens Library at uh, 315 East 14th Street in Davis. And they'll be uh, talking about uh, planting and caring for fruit trees, thinning stone fruit, harvesting artichokes, and vermiculture, and answering your gardening questions as well. That's from 2 to 4 o'clock today at the Mary Stevens Davis Library, 315 East 14th Street in Davis. It is free. Also going on today, and it is free until 3 o'clock, the Sacramento Iris Society is presenting its 68th annual show and sale of irises at the Shepherd Garden and Art Center, 3330 McKinley Boulevard. That's going on. Uh, also going on today at 1 o'clock, you better hurry, uh, the Old City Cemetery has a series of talks and tours on the cemetery's historic rose garden. And today at 1 o'clock, uh, Anita Clevenger, Master Gardener and Rosarian, will be talking about the graceful tea, china, and noisette roses, or is it nosette? I don't know. Uh, favorites of the 19th century, and there, that event, too, is free at the Old City Cemetery at 10th and Broadway in Sacramento. Uh, Steve Zion is in action today. Where is he? He is at uh, the Florin Road Home Depot representing Our World, Our Water until 3 o'clock, helping folks find eco-friendly solutions in the garden as landscape, as well as home pest problems that are Earth Day appropriate. Happy Earth Day to you, by the way. Many regard April 22nd as Earth Day. Heavens knows I've seen several different dates that call it Earth Day, including... I, I don't know why that is. It, it's the same thing with... Um, uh, what is that other event that moves around all the time? Arbor Day. It seems like there's a lot of Arbor Days as well. But anyway, happy April 22nd Earth Day to you. Then Wednesday, Steve will be teaching a free two-hour pest management class on garden pests at the Folsom Community Center at 52 Natoma Street in Folsom. That's in the evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. You go into that, Fred? Uh, I think there's a Dodger game on. All right. All right, Thursday, the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club. <laughs> I have my priorities. Sacramento Perennial Plant Club, 7 p.m. Thursday evening, free talk by Chet Blackburn of the California Native Plant Society. He'll be uh, talking about the importance of moths to the ecosystem and gardens. 
Yes, the downtrodden cousin of butterflies, moths uh, perform many useful services in the garden besides uh, laying uh, the eggs that become tomato worms. Uh, it's a free event at the Sacramento Perennial Plant Club. Their meetings are at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center, again in McKinley Park at 3330 McKinley Boulevard, just across the street from the tennis courts. Coming up Thursday, Sacramento County Master Gardeners have a free Ask the Master Gardeners information table at the Sacramento Food Bank at 3333 3rd Avenue in Sacramento. That'll be Thursday, 1015 until 1245 p.m. Next Saturday, oh, Steve is still in action. Steve Zion at Amy Hardware on El Camino near Watt next Saturday, 10 to 2, with more Our Water, Our World representation, teaching uh, river-friendly garden practices and answering your landscape and pest questions so you can deal with them as safely as possible. All right, what else is going on here? Did we mention the Irish show? I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, let me get, I got a paper clip in the way here. Hold on a second. Wow, that's a lot of stuff I got stuck here. Oh, look at all this stuff I didn't see because it was hidden by the paper clip. I'm old. I printed things out. Next Saturday, it's Ask the Sprinkler Guy in Folsom at Folsom City Lions Park near Folsom Public Library, 403 Stafford Street in Folsom. Uh, Don and the crew out there, uh, have the latest technical advantages of sprinklers and answers all your sprinkler questions. You can see the latest and greatest in sprinklers and controllers. And that's at Folsom City Lions Park next Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's free as well, right near the zoo, if you want to take advantage of that. Also next Saturday, over in Napa, they're having a class on flowers and foliage for the house. It's a workshop that will be held next Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30, at Central Valley Hardware at 1100 Vintage Avenue in St. Helena. So you can find out more about the cut flower garden and how to do it right. So that's uh, over in Napa next Saturday at uh, Central Valley Hardware from 9.30 until 11.30. Next Saturday, the Sacramento County Master Food Preservers have a class on pressure canning basics from 9 until noon. UC Master Food Preserver Dennis Prendergast will provide a basic introduction to safe pressure canning techniques. You'll learn about canning low-acid foods such as vegetables, soups, and meats. And that class uh, at the Cooperative Extension Office, 4145 Branch Center Road near Bradshaw and Kiefer next Saturday, 9 to noon. It, too, is free. Uh, what else is going on here? Um... Oh, yeah, the Folsom Garden Tour is next Saturday and Sunday, April 28th and 29th, 11 to 4 o'clock. And uh, tickets are available online at FolsomGarden.org. Proceeds benefit the college scholarships, grants, and community projects. Plus, uh, tickets are available at uh, many fine outlets in the Folsom area, including uh, Bushnell Nursery in Granite Bay, Green Acres Nursery in Folsom, the Rayleigh's on Blue Ravine in Folsom, the Blossom Shop at 47 Natoma Street, and American River Ace Hardware on Greenback Lane in Folsom. And they have the tickets. You can also purchase tickets the day of the event, too, at the First Garden of the Six. And more information, again, available at FolsomGarden.org. It's six beautiful and unique gardens, plus the Mirror House Gardens. Uh, Master Gardeners will be at every uh, garden as well to help answer questions. Uh, the plant sale, a bake sale, and you can view artists in the gardens as well. The 18th Annual Garden Tour, the Gardens of Folsom, presented by the Folsom Garden Club. All right, a lot of events. It's that time of year when uh, 
February or February, uh, April just gets jam packed. It seems in the last couple of weekends with all sorts of uh, good events, and you have to pick and choose carefully. You make a road trip day of it. That seems to be the best solution. All right, coming up on this uh, very radio station at twelve noon, it's the KSTE Farm Hour, one of my favorite shows. And what's coming up on today's episode, Fred? Oh, the Stockton Asparagus Festival is going on today. Asparagus has taken a, a pretty big hit commercially, locally. It's, it's getting more and more difficult to find Delta-grown asparagus. You might find it at a farmer's market. And part of the reason, frankly, is the price. They have to sell their asparagus for two or three times uh, what they can, what grocery stores, for instance, can buy from Mexico this time of year. So it's been Mexico competition and the lack of labor, available labor. It's a labor-intensive crop. So that's one reason why Delta area asparagus production has uh, gone into decline. We'll have more details about that during the KSTE Farm Hour uh, from noon to 1 o'clock. And remember a few weeks ago we were talking about the swamp rodent, the nutria, a 20-pound rat that tends to eat holes in levees and destroys waterways? Well, they spotted one uh, west of Stockton last week. And so we have more details about the nutria and the damage it can do to levees and uh, other natural life. Uh, and it's moving up the valley. So if it's uh, if it started around Stanislaw County and now it's in Stockton, it'll probably be in Sacramento County fairly soon because this uh, pest, besides being a voracious uh, reproducer, they can tend to travel up to 50 miles, too, when they leave the nest. Also, what are the chances for a U.S. return to membership in the Trans-Pacific Partnership? I don't know. <laughs> well, we, we talk about that and its importance to California agriculture uh, on this week's KSTE Farm Hour. So you can tune in for that. Crop reports as well. Plenty more. One of my favorite shows, the KSTE Farm Hour. All right. Uh, time for me to get on out of here. Um, making room for news and then the KSTE Farm Hour. And uh, I didn't remind you, but there is a podcast available for this show. Did you know that? Yeah. And it's available soon after uh, the end of this show. And Terry will probably be available around 1 o'clock or thereabouts uh, for the uh, uh, Get Growing show. And it's available at the usual podcast outlets. That would also include uh, KSTE.com. Also include the iHeartRadio app. And it would also include your favorite third-party podcast aggregator, be it... uh, Oh, I don't know, iTunes or SoundCloud or one of my favorites for the Android devices, Beyond Pod. Yeah, it works very well. And uh, you can listen to uh, uh, Get Growing from uh, an hour ago or uh, a weeks ago. It doesn't matter. Plus, podcasts are available for the KFBK Garden Show as well. And podcasts are available at those same locations for the KSTE Farm Hour. Give them a listen if you miss any of them. Again, thanks for listening. I appreciate your support all these years. We'll do it again next Sunday, 10 a.m., right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Bye-bye.